right, guys, welcome to another episode of the Precision Rifle Channel podcast. I am here with my good friend, Mr. Philip Vallejo. Philip, how are you, sir? Travis, how you been, man? I'm good. Long time no talk. I'm excited for this. Uh, I'm excited to catch up and, you know, do the thing. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. There's been a lot of changes since we spoke last. Um, for everybody that's not familiar or hasn't listened to one of our podcasts before, we've done quite a few. Let's just give them a quick recap of who you are and kind of some of your credentials. And then I want to get into your new project with Kalen because, man, that's that's huge. And I'm so happy for you. Yeah. Uh, so, man, I guess... I guess it's been going on five years now. It seems like it's uh, yesterday. But um, former uh, Marine Corps Scout Sniper instructor, uh, I spent all uh, uh, 11 years in the Corps and decided to get out in 2018, landed a job with Gunworks, I instructed for them for a couple years. Um, and then now I am a uh, the co-founder of Modern Day Sniper and a full-time instructor with them. And um, that's uh, Kaylin and I's thing we got going on, but uh, also a competitive shooter um dove into the competitive shooting um as a will uh, as a as an outlet to fill some of the training gaps that i saw uh when i was serving active duty um and then just fell in love with the shooting community found some great mentors um all in the socal crew that uh you know helped me kind of develop me into the shooter and kind of mentor uh, i am today with some of the uh the shooters i'm able to um i guess touch and uh you know, educate and, you know, in their journey of long range shooting. So it's been a, been an awesome and humbling experience. And I'm definitely uh, thankful for you guys, uh, that the NRL, I mean, you and I go pretty way back and, uh, it's just amazing to see the growth of the sport and the growth of the NRL. So. Awesome, man. Well, thank you very much, Chef. Philip. So a lot of people don't know, um, I don't know if we've talked about it in the past, but, Philip was part of the SoCal Precision Rifle Team, um, and Philip actually nominated me to be a part of that team, which I got accepted. So me being a part of SoCal would have never happened without you. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> right? Am I am I considered not on the team anymore because I'm in Wyoming or what? <laughs> I, I think you're – I don't even know if there is a team anymore, man. Yeah. It's, we're all kind of – doing different things and whatnot but you know if there's a team you'll always be a part of it brother yeah no it's um it, it uh, that's a great point you know I, I think um the and and we'll get into this but really you know that team you know whatever you want to call it uh you know of mentors you know even though they were all civilians you know they had a really huge impact on my shooting career um, you know, regardless of the fact that I was a Marine Corps scout sniper, uh, just because of how willing they were to help me out. And, um, yeah, they gave me shit, you know, like I was their little brother, but still, uh, it was all out of love. You know what I mean? And I told sure. those guys, especially when I uh, departed, uh, SoCal to go up to Wyoming on our, um, you know, little, my little go away that they held for me. I was like, Hey guys, you know, you guys all had a, you know, indirect, um, uh, influence on the future of the scout cyber community from my time while I was there. So, you know, hopefully it, uh, it, it spoke volumes for them, for them. So, yeah, I think all of them are, are pretty humbled with the amount of knowledge that you have been able to ascertain and kind of, it, it, it's really cool. Cause SoCal, we're, we're a great team and 
there's a lot of guys on there that really specialize in certain topics of the precision rifle sport. Yep. Um, and then there's guys that are just big sponges. And I'm one of those guys that's just, you know, I try to be a sponge. I'm, I'm not a subject matter expert on any one thing, but I like to learn a little bit of everything. And so, you know, uh, I think we all, I think a lot of people now actually all go to Solomon for reloading advice and how to do that. Yeah. Um, when you and I first started like really hanging out, uh, outside of the range, you know, you gave me a lot of, um, fundamental advice and training and getting my rifle set up and, and, uh, really opened up my eyes to how I was doing that wrong. Jeffries is great at competition and, and kind of that whole mindset of clearing your yeah. head and, and, you know, getting focused and, you know, um, and then just everybody else is just, they all have unique Everyone else attributes. is just there for entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> you said it, bro, not me. You're in Wyoming, you're safe, just, man. I'm just, I'm just joking, guys, if you guys are listening to this. <laughs> you know, and, and cool. well, we, I mean, Glenn Ma, you know, if you ever want to buy something brand new and, <laughs> you know, six months old and brand new, we could buy it from Glenn at a discount because he well, buys everything I mean, yeah. and never uses it. I mean, Glenn is the is the shooter that is willing to take his shirt off his back for you. I mean, literally. I mean, my last few months, um, as I was in limbo in the Marine Corps, I mean, he gave me a place to stay, which is awesome, and I I can't even thank him, uh, you know, more than enough for you know opening his house uh, to me for like that. And uh, yeah, no, I mean, I love those guys and I, I miss them. And um, you know, I'm not I don't travel as uh, as often back to California just obviously because of the COVID stuff and and um, because Nicole's been working as a travel nurse, so she hasn't been able to or she hasn't been home in California much. So there hasn't been a reason for me to go back lately. Right. Um, and then obviously I have Zoe full time. Uh, you know, so you know having her miss school is is tough. So the only time I travel is um, if I have to do a training class and whatnot. Yep. No, and it makes perfect sense and. Also, your your new venture, Modern Day Sniper with Kaylin, that's up there too. How how is all that going? How did that happen? Um, for everybody that doesn't know, what is it? Yeah, so uh, Modern Day Sniper is a mindset, and actually, um, you know, I, I uh, it's funny how I kind of ran into saying what that is. Is um, a, a chick at a pizza parlor asked me, you know, when I was wearing a shirt, what is Modern Day Sniper? And I was kind of taken aback. But, uh, you know, Modern Day Sniper actually started as, off as a podcast um, because Kaylin and I were originally doing podcasts through Gunworks. And we were, you know, obviously talking to the fundamental standpoint of, you know, you know what we feel like a hunter should be focusing on in terms of, you know, how to drive his rifle, et cetera, et cetera. Well, then um, a big part of obviously Kaylin and I's passion is um, talking about sniper stuff, but we felt like uh, it was inappropriate to use that, uh, you know, podcast, you know, and those hunters, um, that kind of outlook. So we were like, all right, let's do our own podcast so we can just focus on sniper specific stuff. And then we kind of unorganic, I guess, organically um, started um, bringing on shooters of all types of of walks, you know, uh, and, you know, every different discipline for long range shooting, you know, you're, enth- you're just regular enthusiasts, <clears throat> your law enforcement snipers, your hunters, uh, and competitive shooters, because a, a, a big thing that we do talk about with modern day snipers, not just obviously the technical aspect, but, uh, the mindfulness aspect of, 
you know, uh, what it means to be a volunteer, what it means to be a sniper, stuff like that. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of what modern day sniper is. Uh, you know, we you have a podcast. I think we're like thirty some episodes deep, deep and. Uh, you know, Kaylin and I have really good chemistry and we talk a lot about our trainingisms and stuff like that and, and some stuff that we see that's going on in the community. Um, but we try to stay clear of, I guess, the, um, the I won't say drama, you know, because uh, what drama does, I guess, not not drama, but uh, what st- those conversation starters, it just it just allows you to think, you know what I mean? Right. Uh, a lot of a lot of a lot of good uh, learning points. And a lot of good perspectives from different types of shooters and, and different types of hunters, which we're going to get get into. Just for example, it's like, uh, you know, a uh, a Montana Wyoming mule deer hunter's experience is completely different than a um, South Texas white-tailed deer hunter. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So perspective is completely everything, and um, you know, it, it's a uh, it's it's been a pretty awesome experience. Um, so. I'm uh last week it was the first uh, marine unit that I was had the ability to train which was awesome uh to you know I would say when I first started my goal of uh competitive rifle shooting and the civilian you know outlook you know my my goal I knew I knew that giving up the uniform was eventually going to happen and when I gave it up my goal was eventually to find my way back to be able to teach the community um and uh it was it was it was cool to, to that you know it all came back full circle nice um because uh yeah I, I think you know bridging the gap between what is taught in the military and what's used you know in the competition side you know it's important for shooters to realize that you know snipers out there you know operational snipers not really your soft units but like your big army big marine corps snipers i mean they don't have the gear that you know, the pros use, you know what I mean? They're stuck with the 308, 175 Sierra match Kings. And, you know, they're not throwing around a 12 to 13 pound game changer to help stabilize their position because 12 to 13 pounds on their back hurts. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it's just not a realistic expectation to have those snipers, you know, be essentially, um, carrying, uh, what, you know, competitive precision rifle shooters use. Um, and so understanding how to filter out, okay, hey, what's applicable for what I learned from these competitions and what can I bring back to the cyber community that I know that they're not able to get back in their unit training uh, because it's just a vicious cycle of um, uh, regurgitation. You know, uh, the, the average lifespan of a sniper in a community is anywhere from four to five years, right? Uh, so there's not much um, continuity there. Uh, so it was nice uh, for Kalen and I to be able to, you know, kind of open our open those guys' eyes, the, the recent guys, and just let them know, like, hey, you know, what you're able to get out of a competition, two day competition, you will get more, even out of the six day class that that we just taught. Uh, I told those guys all the time, like, you'll learn more about your shooting capability at a two day match than the six day match or the six day course that we just put you through, uh, just because you know when they're at the course. You know, we're we're showing them how to be successful for each event. You know, we're we're teaching them, we're we're coaching them, and stuff like that. But when you go to a two-day national level match, or even a one-day a local match, and you know the match director tells you, "Hey, these are your targets. This is your shooting position. This is your time limit. Go." You got no one there holding your hand, right? right? Yeah, sh- sure. Uh, shooters will coach you afterwards and stuff like that. People in your squad, but at that moment in time, those ninety seconds, those one hundred twenty seconds, that's that's for you to figure it out. You know what I mean? No, absolutely. And it's interesting because a lot of people 
don't realize, you know, that people such as yourself and Kaylin um, and a lot of the other great, true educators that come from uh, different backgrounds that shoot competitive rifle, they shoot competitive rifle not only as a sport, but as a way to gain knowledge to help out in their trainings of real world professionals. And yep. to me, that's huge because, you know, I shoot, um, when I have the opportunity, I go down to San Diego and I shoot with the Paula crew and all of those guys. And there's a lot of Marines down there. There's a lot of um, uh, law enforcement down there just because we're not that far from Pendleton. And it's fun to watch them shoot and how they move and the gear they use and the tactics that they're learning. And then they talk about applying to real world scenarios, but something that you brought up, which is absolutely true. I mean, you're going to be hard pressed to find a real world um, sniper, whether it's law enforcement or military carrying a 12 pound bag or a 30 pound rifle. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not saying that that's not a, a place uh, in the sport, right? Um, you know, that's the, uh, you know I don't want to dive into that those politics there, uh, but you know, understanding that all right, it, and that was one of the things that I had to do uh, when I drove down to Texas, and this is <laughs> it was my like first big road trip. Uh, it was a 24 hour drive, and yeah. um, you know I was listening to podcasts and stuff like that, uh, like military podcasts. I, I actually listened to a book uh, you know, from a sniper in Vietnam. Just to get my headspace back into, you know, teaching people how to, you know, hunt other other people, right? Um, you know, changing my lingo and the, just the mindset, and uh, you know, it, it's unrealistic, especially when you're uh, E4, E3, making, I mean, twenty five thousand dollars a year to to invest in a ten thousand dollar rifle system, fucking fifteen hundred dollar tripod. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's not. Gonna um, it's 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 not it's not gonna happen. Um, so trying to figure out okay what do they have how can i um utilize the skills that i've learned from competition and um and apply it to the gear that they they're currently using right then oh here try this try that you know what i mean because i've got all i've got all the gamer gear i've got a 30 pound rifle i've got a really rough stuff tripod i've got a 12 pound game changer bag that that makes me successful in competition but i know for a fact if i was an operational sniper i wouldn't carry it in right. in, in that capacity and, you know, that kind of segues us into our next topic. Um, the NRL and PRS style matches have really, you know, I don't know if this is the right term. Some people might get mad at me, um, whatever, you know, but it's really turned into more of a race gun series, right? The rifles that we use in this sport, in PRS, NRL, two-day national matches right now are not practical for any other purpose than to compete in this sport do you do you think that that's fair to say yeah i i think uh you know uh scott i i was reading on a post that scott had 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 said you know the the, the growth of the sport is going to allow shooters to see obviously the new gear which i i 100 agree with and you know allow them to to um you know see okay hey what i'm using is not essentially efficient for what i want to get out of and i think that's what every shooter that gets into precision rifle shooting or long-range rifle shooting should ask themselves okay what do i want to get out of long-range shooting right you know what is my intent and uh what what i love about you know out here out west all the shooters that i met i mean all of a lot of them who are now phenomenal shooters they all came out 
because they all wanted to become uh, uh, better and ethical hunters. And now they're taking shots that they wouldn't have never ta- uh, taken before com- competing, right? right? But now they've got three to five years in, you know, competitive shooting. And, you know, they understand what it is to play the game because at one point in your in your mind, you're like, okay, well, I don't want to just be here to learn anymore. I want to actually be here to compete, right? It, it, I mean, it's just, it just competition drives our ego it's and it's it's a you know it's a healthy part of our lives right um and uh but But at the same token yeah it's a sport but at the same token it's like you know realistically for a newer shooter coming into the uh sport i think they're immediately going to get turned off when they see a a rifle that they're not accustomed to seeing right Right. Uh, you know, with with their buddies, when it's a when it's a tricked out five to eight thousand, like this rifle behind me, you know, it's a it's easily you know a custom, it is a custom built six five Creedmoor that you know is anywhere from probably uh, six to eight thousand dollars. You know, when I was at Gunworks, I mean, most of those guys before investing into a Gunworks system, I mean, they were dealing with you know fifteen hundred dollar rifle setups. I mean, that that's even a stretch, right? And it- um. And the go gear ahead, is ahead. great, but like every, like not every, but with a lot of different sports, like racing, I grew up in the racing world, right? Yeah. You have Formula One and that's great. And that's where the elite drivers in the world should compete. And yeah. you have NASCAR, which again, the best drivers should compete there. But the average Joe who just wants to, to learn and become better, that may not be the place that they go, Right. Yeah, that's so right. the NRL, you know, for, for lack of a better term, we're just going to call it the race gun series. So we don't get confused here. The, all right. Sorry if you don't like the term. That's just I don't can't think of another term right now. The NRL race gun series is always going to have a place and it's going to, yeah. you know, it's where we started is the NRL. And I love it. And I love the community. I love the people in it. But for. The NRL's mission for <clears throat> the sport of precision rifle to grow, we have to look at it from a broader field of view. And That's right. For many years, we've been trying to figure out how to force hunters into our sport. Yeah. Well, that hasn't worked, right? Yeah. So now we have the NRL Hunter Series. Yeah. And <clears throat> the NRL Hunter Series is designed number one to provide a place of education okay yeah and when we talk about education we want people to come to one of these events and learn how to become better ethical hunters to learn how to use their gear properly to use their rifle properly to make sure that you know, that brand new Stone Glacier backpack is set up properly and it's going to carry the gear that they need and that they can properly engage realistic type targets at realistic distances. Because if you go to an NRL Hunter match and you find out that you can't hit a target at 400 yards in four minutes, you probably should not be taking a shot at a live animal out in the field. Yeah. Okay, so you you bring up a, a pretty pretty good point. Um, just from looking back and seeing where the where uh, the Enerol Hunter um, is, 
I don't know. I don't know. I should say going because it, you guys literally just started, but just seeing the traffic and stuff like that. I guess what I'm worried about is, you know, you, you have you still have the mid pack shooters that are in the race gun series, right? As we right. want to call it, right? Right. Okay. Now they're looking for a new experience. Now they're gonna they're gonna jump ship, right? Yep. From being a mid pack shooter to possibly being a top shooter in the hunter category. Let's be honest here, right? That that that's a potential. Oh, absolutely. Uh, um, that's a potential, you know, that course of action that, that could, uh, happen. Um, and you know, from just, and you know, I'm coming from the lens of a newer shooter and a, an instructor in this, in this world where I see, I see an average, when I was with Gunworks, I saw at least 36 shooters a month at a minimum. And now with Gunworks or no, sorry, with modern day sniper, I'm seeing anywhere from 16 to 32 shooters a month. Um, you know, with, with uh, new shooters and, and, surprisingly or not most of the guys that show up to training have these budget type setups right you know what i mean i haven't seen a a shooter come i was actually talking to Candace about this. i haven't seen a shooter come to one of our trainings that has a rifle uh just as expensive or more expensive than kaylin and i's that's something to say about okay well why is it that we're getting these shooters you know that are buying you know let's say $1,500 equipment and going out to training. Well, they're taking the advice, okay, buy what you can buy and then go out to training, which is important. Right. Okay, well, what about the shooters that, you know, are, are have $10,000 rigs, they're finishing mid-pack or bottom of the pack, you know, why are they, uh, you know, why aren't they coming out to, to uh, get educated uh, and, you know, build a better foundation? Uh, because, you know, free recoiling and, all this stuff is is obviously not helping you out if if you're if you're not able to spot your impacts on a thirty pound six dasher because guess what a fifteen year old running a six creed more that's I think her her gun weighs like eighteen pounds so that she can run it I mean she drives it like a two two three yep <laughs> no it's insane what she what, we're talking about Allison or we're not, talking about I, Allison I'm, yeah yeah so no we're talking about Allison yeah okay you have another young female that you train Peyton Peyton there you go I I apologize Peyton I mean even Peyton's you know running gear that is suited for her. Um, as far as weight and caliber and, and the whole nine yards, and she's yep. she's doing phenomenally well, also. Yep. Um, but you know the the thing is is technology for these off the shelf rifles has grown so far in the past decade that Absolutely. almost every manufacturer guarantees a sub MOA out of the box with good ammo. Yep, and for hunting that is more than sufficient absolutely right so people that go out hunting majority of the people that hunt learned how to hunt from their their father or mother sibling you know somebody in their family or a close friend or whatever who learned from again mother father close family member or whatever so the traditions of education that have been passed down have not been a professional education so to speak right um and there's nothing wrong with that because a lot of these guys mm. are phenomenal shooters yep. but most hunters are also used to taking shots within two or three hundred yards or closer depending on where you yeah. live yeah that's right now comes technology and and the sport of long-range shooting and you know, you're hearing about people 
that are taking shots at four, five, six, seven, a thousand yards, and it's kind of be, it's kind of baffling because I don't know if you've been in this situation. I'm sure you have, um, and, and I use this example a lot because of this series. But I, you know, I was recently at Bass Pros right here in Rancho, and I was listening to a guy tell the the clerk, the guy at the, across the counter, a story about how he shot a deer at 800 yards, right? I'm like, okay, cool. You know what his next question was? He's all, what's first focal plane? I'm like, bro, there's no effing way you just shot a deer at 800 yards and you don't know what first focal plane is or how to operate a scope. And you're going to expect me to believe that you shot a deer at 800 yards? Either number one which is most likely the truth is you're full of crap or number two, somehow you got damn lucky and, and, and you know, you actually made that shot. Right. But either yeah. way, not ethical. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll just bring up a scenario that I was in um, again. And, and I'm not trying to talk that I'm a, a, a freaking experience hunter by any trade. I've only been on four hunts. One of them, I let's say two of them that I technically count as like do it yourself. Uh, which my, was my antelope hunt that I'm going to talk about here. And um, it was my second hunt, uh, which was antelope I drew uh, last year. And uh, Ben with, went with me, my assistant instructor, and as well as another gunworks sales guy. And I brought uh, a 6.5 PRC. And, you know, anyone that's been antelope hunting in Wyoming knows it's kind of a, a truck truck hunt. Right. You know, it's just drive around and, and kind of, you know, figure out which one you want to shoot. I, I think last time I flew into Wyoming, there were antelope on the runway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seriously. So... You know, we're we're going out, and uh, you know, for it's opening day, and um, it was actually right before uh, our match, uh, the NRL match uh, mm-hmm. with Gunworks, and um, you know, I was like, man, I got shit to do. Like, we got to fucking set up the match, and it's like, I can't be, I can't be, you know, taking two or three days to do this stuff. Like, we're gonna, like, whatever I see, I'm just gonna shoot. I, I, I just say whatever I see, but you know, we decided after like five or six, I was like, I'm gonna shoot that one. So anyways, uh, you know, I'm closing the distance and, and I'm, I'm bringing a 6.5 PRC and in my head, I'm like, okay, I'm pretty comfortable, you know, with this thing out to about seven, 800 yards, right? Because I, I just shot my first antelope, um, you know, uh, with a Creedmoor at 5.10, a 6.5 Creedmoor. And, you know, anyone that knows anything about the PRC, it's just the big brother of the 6.5 Creedmoor, you know, pushing, a, I was pushing a 147 at 30, 30.50. Um, so... You know, we're, we're, we're getting, and we, we finally see one. And again, I shoot out to a thousand yards. I shoot at these matches all the time. And I'm, I would say that with a six, five Creedmoor, I'm about 80, 80% on a 10 inch plate at a thousand yards, you know, in, in sub 10 mile an hour wind conditions, right? right. It doesn't mean I'm going to shoot at a, you know, an animal at a thousand yards if it's under 10 miles an hour, right? Well, wind starts to pick up to about 15 miles an hour. I'm like, wow, this is this just got bad. Like now, I need to really close my distance in my head, right? Um, so then, uh, wind picked up to 20, 25 miles an hour, and you know, I, I even posted a video on my socials um, of Ben holding the kestrel and him reading off the wind. Uh, but I ended up closing my distance to 440 yards. Not only that, originally I was going to shoot him off a tripod from the kneeling. But because the wind was throwing me bad so much, I was like, dude, there's there's no point in trying to mess around with this. Like, I need to make sure that this shot is as clean as as ethically possible, right? Regardless right. of what it might look cool on Instagram. You know what I mean? Right. So I got my ha- happy ass off the tripod. I got on the prone and I waited for him to get out of the deflate, which he did. And then I poked him at 440, you know. Um, 
and I still didn't even give it a, a strong enough wind call. You know, I was holding a mill uh, of, of wind into the wind because um, he was facing into the wind uh, and it was still not enough, right? So it, it just gives hopefully people a perspective like, hey, like even though I'm, I'm considered a professional level shooter, I'm not going out there taking shots just to prove, you know, I can I can stamp, okay, a thousand yards, I shot a deer, right? That doesn't mean anything to me. Right. Um, you know, uh, when Kalen did a pretty cool interview uh, during the Modern Day Rifleman Summit with... Uh, with um donnie vincent they talked about you know closing the distance doing what you can to close the distance you know but if you know understanding that okay based off of your limitations maybe you're not able to close the distance if that's the closest that you can possibly get i get it and that's exactly what happened on my my recent mule deer hunt you know based off of my situation the further the closer i got the more uh, i was going to be indefinite i wouldn't be able to see him and if i went around um you know I was essentially still, I, I would have to shoot off a tripod. So the position that I was in allowed me to get into prone. And I knew that because, you know, light conditions and he was at 500 yards, you know, I was comfortable at putting that bullet exactly where I want it. You know what I mean? And and that's what I tell a lot of hunters. Because I get the question asked a lot on my socials, like, hey, what's the furthest that you shoot? Honestly, with my ability right now, 600 yards and in, because I know at 600 yards and in, I can put that bullet exactly where I want it. Not like, oh, I I, I got a buffer zone, right, of like right. 18 inches and stuff like that. No, like within 18 inches and let's say 15 miles an hour, I can put that bullet exactly where I want it, right? right? And my goal when I when I attend these things, these events, is obviously push that distance. But realistically, you know, as a hunter, I'm not I'm not going to be shooting anything past 600 yards. When you see guys, because there's all these long range hunting TV shows and things of that nature, and all you, all you see is that final product, right? You're not seeing yeah. how many shots it took them to actually get an ethical impact on that animal. You know, right? Yeah. They might have shot at that thing three times and it moved a mile and they and they tracked it a mile before they finally even hit it. Now, I'm not yeah. saying that they're not great hunters because they are, and, and I'll never take that away from them. But it's TV. Your average person, your average hunter. Um, I would say from everything that I've been reading is going to be most comfortable around that 200, 250 yards and in. Yep. That absolutely. Um, you know, and, and just the recent trigger, whatever on the NRL hunter that we'll talk about here is, you know, the, the person as genuine as they, their comment or their post about trigger weights, you know, I think it came from a, a sincere place in terms of looking from a, a newer shooter lens, right? Right. Again, I'm, you know, I don't know if you want to call me a hypocrite, but like, yeah, at the end of the day, I'm going to show up with a, when I go to one of these NRL Hunter series, I'm going to show up with a custom built 6.5 Creedmoor with a, you know, sub 1.5 pound trigger that weighs under 12 pounds. That meets the, the minimum power factor, right? Right. But that's because I've already been educated and understanding, okay, this is what I would realistically take hunting. Again, if we're trying to na- attract new shooters, Especially if, if, if you just see the through the lens of a competitive shooter and haven't really been around other hunters, like true hunters, you know what I mean, that have grand, grandpa and granddad's freaking old 30 out six, you know what I mean? You, yep. you need to get a reality check because that's literally what a lot of these hunters might show up with. A 30 out six with a five pound trigger weight and that weighs only seven pounds <laughs> with the optic. And you know what? If that's what you're hunting with, 
then that's what you should come to the match with because you should yep. master that platform before you go out there and say, hey, there's this all cool new game and I want to go spend $10,000 to build a sub 12 pound rifle or whatever and blah, 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 blah. You know what? That's not doing you any justice. You know, learn no, how to not. shoot what you have and master that platform. And then if you want to go build something custom for you know next season and you have the fundamentals great go for it but yeah the whole purpose of the nrl hunter is to give people a opportunity to practice with practice and learn with the gear that they have we didn't come up with this concept scott satterley did not come up with this concept to drive custom rifle sales that's not no. the purpose the purpose is yep to make better ethical hunters and to show people the love of a sport that can be for everybody. And to go back to your your your, your previous statement, you talked about you know mid pack or mid to high pack shooters coming from the race gun series coming over and shooting the hunter. I yep. think that that's great if they come over with the with with the mindset mindset of wanting to help people and go oh, yeah. and further the sport. Yeah. So, and you know, this is the, the perspective I, I came about that was look at, look at, let's say that the, you know, your, your, uh, your competing company, the, the precision rifle series tax, tax series, right. The right. tax class, right. The, I, honestly, there's nothing tack about the tax class other than no. the fact that you're shooting a 308, you know, the, the second that they opened it up to, you know, uh, custom bullets, and you know, not having you know weight limits. I mean, I, I haven't looked at it reg, regs now, but you know, that that didn't do anything, right, to grow the the tactical side of the sport. Right. It didn't. You know what I mean? Because guys just started showing up with custom built 308s and race gun 308s. Right. Right. Which and, you would never I mean, see that, in a police department or the military using. They're custom rifles that that don't have a place. Yeah. At the at the SF level, at the soft level, absolutely. But at the big right. army, big Marine Corps level, no. Right. Right. You know, and yeah, and, and that that for me, again, from a new shirt, that already cuts off half the market. Not by design. It's just obviously because of the ego standpoint of, of shooters wanting to get in the sport. Obviously, they, when they get into go to a precision rifle match, again, I, I realize that words mean things. When they go to a match, they, they're going there to compete. Right. And no one wants to get their ass whooped by the dentist or the gardener, right? Shooting a right. custom tricked out $10,000 rig. So that's why it's like, Hey man, go when, when I tell the guys to go to a, sh a shooting competition, go to learn about your shooting capabilities. Right. And that that's, as long as you go with that perspective, you will excel and you will learn, you will learn a shit ton and Absolutely. you'll go back to your unit and you will fucking crush it. But, but the minute that you go in there thinking that you're going to be competitive, right? It's just not, it's not, it's not, expectation right and then you're gonna you're gonna show up and you know you're gonna get bit, beat by a 15 year old <laughs> right which is which is okay which right is awesome. but hopefully it drives you to become better and, and take a look at yourself in the mirror and be like all right i need to do better i'm not as good as i think i am yes right and that's that's exactly what i saw when i when i showed up to my first uh, scprt match i'll be honest with you man i I was a scout cyber instructor. I had graduated from all of my uh, uh, follow-on cyber schools as a high shooter. So what do you think 
egotistically I'm going to this match as, oh, I fucking got this. Right. I got fucking beat by, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, data analysts and, <laughs> right? you know, uh, a welder, like, a shipping right, a welder. And, and like when I got home, I was like, I didn't, I didn't, you know, tuck my tail behind my, in between my legs and be like, oh, fuck that. You know, I was like, no, like I need to do better. I need to figure out what my training deficiency is. And I need to figure out, okay, what I can do to be better so that I can yes. make sure that the people that I'm teaching are better. Because, you know, at the end of the day, they're the ones going out there, you know, and, and fighting for our freedom and, and protecting their brothers, right? Because when you think of a sniper, you think of some guy that's on Overwatch and, and whatnot. Um, and, uh, you know, because I knew that I was at that front line of being able to influence and teach snipers, I was like, all right, time to put my money where my mouth is. Right. You know what I mean? And that's the way I look at when I go to competitions, for me at least, is A, look at it as a training uh, training um, opportunity. Um, and then, you know, now because I'm such an experienced competitive shooter, yeah, I want to play the game. I want to see how I stack up against the John Pinches, the Tate Shreeders, you know, the uh, Morgan Kings, because they're all, you know, those are the top level competitors right now. Yep. Um, and in order for me to, to get on the same playing field, right, why not build a BRA? Right? right. I mean, that's what and, the, that's what those guys are using. And, but that's that that comes with five years of experience. Right. That's why you you're know, in but the I'm race not gun tell, series. Yeah, I'm not going to tell first year Phil Vallejo to do that. I'm going to tell him, hey, use what you have, bring what you have, right, and then just learn about the sport. Find a mentor, have him teach you. Because I mean, tell you, ninety nine percent of the sport is fucking great and awesome. I cannot recommend it and that's all i did you know when i was down in texas to uh to those guys is like hey find a local match and um you know uh, introduce yourself and and um you know a lot of people are willing to you know give you gear and and whatnot and, right. and give you hand-me-downs and stuff like that um and then i just told them i was like it's it's up to you though because there's stuff that's gamey right there's stuff that you know like oh, shooting a kyl target right it's like or shooting off of a, a moving platform or like a, you know, that, that chain platform. Right. But yeah, but realistically, you know, I'm not going to be comfortable taking a shot or compromise, compromising my position as a sniper. Right. If, if I don't, if I don't have that shot, I'm just right. going to pick up the radio and I'll fucking, uh, fucking bomb on his ass. <laughs> So awesome. I guess it's all it's all pers- it's all perspective, it, right? It is and, perspective. And I'm trying I, I I'm trying to come from the newer shooter's lens and be like, all right, well, how do we how do we break down that barrier for entry? Okay, well, we'll break down the barrier for entry for you know allowing them to compete with their peers. How do they compete with their peers? I think that's what's great about the factory class, right? The production class, yep. especially when I think uh, Scott, you know, uh, or the one of the rules is hey. In order for it to be a you know production class rifle, a minimum of I think what three thousand of them have to be sold yearly. Five thousand. Five thousand, and I think that's fucking fantastic. And then we're also looking at what a majority of the big box stores sold. So if it was sold, you know, in a Cabela's or a uh, Shields or or whatever, um, that got it through. And then if it made five thousand or more, that's what kind of made it that final list. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, but I, I like the, uh, dude, I love the idea. I love the, the, the fact that it's, you know, blind stages. Um, you know, the, I think that is one of the most overlooked aspects of, uh, you know, the, the, the shooting portion of a uh, long range shooting is target acquisition. Yes. You know what I mean? Um, I especially suck from at my, target acquisition. 
yeah yeah um and then managing your gear right um you know because again with the 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 nrl you know the nrl original organization the prs you know that that's a that's a that's an organization what i've seen is that that completely helps you focus on just being a shooter right right but if you go to let's say a competition dynamics you know one of those team matches right there's a lot of more technical aspects of 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 uh you know navigating through a stage versus a 90 second to 120 second prs nrl match right yeah, so at that point in time yes but there's a i think there's a better crossover for people that are attending nrl prs matches right that do those consistently and then go over to like a team match or let's say one of these uh nrl hunter match because they already know they already can shoot they can shoot off their belly they can shoot under pressure now all you're doing is you're just forcing them to um you know range on the clock and stuff like that which you know adds a whole other dynamic but you know for people, let's say like Brian Black, that won uh, uh, Saturday's match. I mean, he's a you know he's a hunter by trade, which is awesome, right? And it, it just it just goes to show full circle that he got you know he got what he put into the sport. And you know what I mean? As, as wanting to be a hunter first. A majority of the top competitors in the NRL Race Gun Series started off as hunters, yep. and the whole sport of PRS of precision rifle shooting started with hunters wanting to get together and compete against each other and, and improve yep. their skills and gear and so on and so forth. So this whole sport um, is kind of coming back full circle because it started off with hunters and it evolved into this crazy fancy race. And now we're bringing it back to focus on the hunters. And, you know, I know that there was a recent thread about uh, words mean something that you'd worked on, you know, that you, yeah. you had posted. And words absolutely mean something. It's what those words also mean to you. So when we talk about competition yeah. and matches, if I say, Philip, I'm going to a competition and you happen to be going to the same competition, I know that, that at my current skill set, there's only two ways I can beat you. It's either I get you super drunk and you don't compete or I get super lucky, right? That's the only way I'm going to beat you right now. If it's, you know, 100% healthy Philip, 100% healthy Travis and we compete, I'm not competition to you. But I go to compete yeah. against myself. Yeah, right? for sure. So I, my mindset 100%. when I go to a match is, hey, every, every stage I, I go to, I'm not going to zero it, number one. Yep. Number two is, you know, when I first started, I have to make 50% of the shots that I send. Not that, you know, if there's 10, 10 rounds in the stage and I only take five, I have to at least hit two or three of those, right? If I do better, then that's great. And th that's my inner competition. That's how I plan to improve myself. And then, yep. you know, it was time management and getting more shots off and, and better consistency and so on and so forth. Right. Yeah. So I set personal goals. So yep. a competition doesn't mean that you have to compete against your peers or, or your buddies or whatever. You can go out there to compete against yourself to make yourself better. And 100%. represent yourself, represent your, you know, your skill set and learn because yep. I know a couple of the matches you and I have been to, even the matches 
that we're not shooting at together, but the matches that I'm filming you at, after you're done with the stage, I'm like, bro, why'd you do it that way? That makes no sense to me. And you then you break it down. Why didn't I look at it that way? And in that yeah. moment, I learned something. Yeah. Right. Uh, and that's a, that's a great that's a great and and that's actually the spirit of like military competitions, right? Is for or for you to learn the other you know SOP standard operating procedures of different sniper units out there. Uh, and that's what I see, you know, um, sometimes, you know, you, you dive down too far in the, in that rabbit hole of like watching someone do something and cleaning it. And you're like, man, I should try that. Even though you've never practiced it. Right. <laughs> right? Everyone, I'm pretty sure everyone's guilty of doing that, <laughs> even including myself. Um, you know, so it's just, it's just sticking to what you know, but like you said, competing against yourself. And, and, and that's one thing that I struggle with, right? Competing uh, against myself and, and, and showing up to a match and not, thinking about what the top shooters are doing, you know, um, you know, cause you know, at my current, at my current, uh, level, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't place myself right now in the top 20. Like you can't just show up. I can't just show up right now to a match and, and think that because, you know, uh, I shoot, you know, for social media and stuff like that. Um, you know, I'm going to be competitive with those guys up there because I mean, it, it's a, it's a pretty, you know, those guys are putting in the work, you know what I mean? The, yeah. the, the top 10, top 20 guys, um, you know, they're, they're shooting matches consistently. And, you know, um, I know that, you know, when I, when I won the, 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 the PRS finale in 2018, um, I was coming off of like 16, 17 matches that year. Yeah, you shot you know a what I mean? I shot a shit ton. And, uh, you know, I contribute that a lot of that to the, to my success at that, at that match was the fact that, you know, I, I was able to just shoot a lot. Um, it's just cause that whole mindset and just experience understanding time management. And then, you know, really obviously once you get at that level, right, it's all, it's all mental, you yeah. know what I mean? Um, you know, which is a whole nother podcast in itself. But I, I think for me coming from the, the, my, my goal is to grow the sport, right? The, the, because I'm in the industry, I'm in the industry right. of, of, uh, firearms and long range shooting, obviously as a, as a, as an, as an instructor, um, so, you know, our goal is to, 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 to grow the sport, but I would say my mission still remains the same from when I first started competing is to hopefully, you know, inspire other snipers that are out there that see this former scout sniper and, you know, putting himself on the line, regardless of who, who he gets beat up by or ate up by, even if, you know, I do want to go out to the East coast and get shown up by Allison. I think that'd be freaking awesome. Right. Um, yep. it would, it would definitely hurt my ego a little bit. Right. <laughs> but at the, at the same time. Right. It would hopefully inspire guys to be like, OK, you know, hey, Phillip's out there getting it. You know, um, why can't I? Right. right. Because I know what that's going to do at the unit at that unit level. If that senior sergeant or a corporal goes out and starts competing, because I know that's not the kind of training that he's getting at that at that lowest level. Right. I mean, did you ever watch The Last Dance with Michael Jordan? That yeah. series. Awesome. Oh, I mean, fantastic, right? Yep. I, I mean, the amount of just, I mean, just the just the the mindset that Jordan had and, and stuff like that, um, you know, and, and that's kind of what I see Allison. I mean, like I always, I always see her dry firing. I always see her, you know, and I mean, she is fundamentally sound from freaking toes to head. You know what I mean? I watch yep. her videos and I'm like, man, she drives that rifle really fucking well. Um, and I hope she goes out there and dominates. I, I think I that would be. It's super cool because, you know, it will, it, I, I think it will grow the sport even more because, oh, sure. you know, other, 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 uh, other parents are going to see that and be like, oh, I can now take, you know, my 14, 15 year old daughter or son with me 
and build him a gun. You know what I mean? It's just it's just better all around if if she does well. And you know, I I think if she, you know, I think she's going to place well this year. I think you know easily top ten, top twenty. Uh, if not, she, so. she she wins it. But um, but in the, I I bet you before she's eighteen, she's going to have at least four or five uh, another national level titles. I I think so. I I I, I get to spend. Not a lot of time, but, uh, you know, a fair amount of time with them because they shoot the NRL 22 series. And so I get to hang out with them during uh, the championship weekends. And I talk to them on the phone, her and her family all the time. And she dry fires like 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 a religion. She's a great student. She's a, a good, uh, good girl that has her head on her shoulders. She's driven. She knows what she wants and and she's proving it. And No, I think uh, I think I think she's I mean. I mean, because she came out of left field, I think, from the NRL 22 yeah. two years ago, right? The first the yeah. NRL 22 match. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's when I first uh, saw her come to light. And um, then when she jumped into center fire, and then I know she just crushes it out there in the Northeast. You oh, know what yeah. I mean? Um, against, I mean, even stat. And that's, I brought, I brought that up to, you know, my class last week uh, down in Texas. I was like, hey, guys, like, you know, I get it. You guys are all choir professionals and stuff like that. But, you know, we got this. I mean, fifteen-year-old girl that's literally cleaning up shop in our in our uh, sport of long-range shooting. Right in our um, world, she's dominating. Yeah, and uh, it's it's cool to see. Um, so, you know, I, I think, and that's one thing. It's like, you know, you you don't have to be, and that's how this is, Zoe. It's like it's like, hey, like you don't, you know, I want you to, you know, do the best you can in school and stuff like that, but. Whatever you decide to do in life, like I want you to, you know, give it 100 percent right. uh, and don't quit at it, right? Um, and just work hard. Uh, you know, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room, right? Um, but as long as you work hard, trust me, like you know, the cards will fall fall into place. Yep. Um, and that's what I see with Allison is that you know her her hard work and dedication is paying off tenfold. Yeah, absolutely. I want to know since you've already kind of hinted towards it. I want to know, and I'm sure our listeners want to know, what is going to be your gear setup for NRL Hunter? Meaning your rifle, what scope, bipod, tripod? Are you carrying a tripod? Are you carrying a bag? Bino? What yeah. are you carrying? What's in your bag? So right now I've got uh, I've got two um, like twelve sub twelve pound rifle setups right now. Um, one's in a Tika that was actually a Tika build project that I did. Yeah, uh, that's put a, cool. Uh, aftermarket proof research. Um, Prefit on it. It's got a Collis 318 on it. It's sitting in a KRG X-ray with bipods that sits right at about 12 pounds. Um, so it meets. It obviously it, it'll meet probably not the the light class, but the um, open heavy. Okay. So um, just and then this 12. rifle. Yep. And this rifle right here is a, a short action customs built 6.5 Creedmoor um, uh, in a defiance action on a 318 and a Manners PRS1. And that rifle right there weighs at. Um, I think 11 and a half with bipods. Uh, but I plan on shooting a 6.5 Creed more. I'm probably going to be uh, hand loading 147 ELDMs right at 2700, okay. uh, which meets my power factor. Just um, over and 147s. What's up? Yeah, just over. Okay. Um, and then, uh, you know, 147s. Uh, and, and honestly, I'm going to be hunting with these. You know what I mean? I, I hunted with the Tika build on my Mildare hunt, and I want to take these on, on a backcountry hunt as well next year um, you know, when I uh, hopefully do more hunts. Um, out here in Wyoming for 2020, uh, 2021. Uh, as far as other gear, um, 
the uh, pint size uh, game changer with the Git Light fill. Um, okay. That weighs like two pounds, and that's actually what I recommended to these snipers this past week to carry because it's a lot better than carrying a four pound sandsock that we used to right. teach them how to build at sniper school. Um, and uh, you know that that'll be you know my kind of front support rear bag. Um, you but to be honest with you, I'm, I'm trying to find a way to. Um, keep it attached to the rifle in a sense that uh, I had some issues doing the mousetrap at rifles only where um, I kind of overcompensated with putting it, it on the forward. on the support and it fell over right yeah. and it was like oh yeah. shit this is a real like this is a real thing that I need to and, and I'm completely opposed to attaching your bag to your gun right, right. <laughs> that's that's just me um, but uh, so that's the bag let's talk are you carrying I'm going to be running. So I'm carrying a tripod. It'll be the really right stuff. Um, 24L. Now the, there's a ascent, uh, ascend tripod, the ascend one four. And, and you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be honest. I'm an ambassador for uh, really right stuff. Um, and, uh, they've got their ascend one four, uh, tripod hunting tripod that's coming out. I think that's a pretty awesome tripod, but, um, you know, the, the second that you get out of the sitting kneeling position, the stability is noticeably different in terms of the 24L and the Ascend. Um, okay. So for me, the one pound, one and a half pound weight difference of, of the 24L over the over the Ascend, for me, you know, takes the cake in terms of, you know, bringing it on a, a competition. But I would, I, that that is going on my pack, the Ascend 1.4 for hunting purposes. See, Does that answer your question? Yeah, that's good to know because I was actually, I just got the email that the Ascend came out. And so I called yep. up over there and I, I can't get a hold of the guys. Um, but I was like, Hey, I wanted to know more about it. So it's, it's good yeah. feedback. I, I didn't realize you were testing one already. So that's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, I've got that send one four. Um, and yeah, you mean you can, I'm five ten, and, and, uh, the, the original, original version, you can put up the center column right. and I barely have to lean over, um, to be able to observe from, but I couldn't, I couldn't shoot from that position. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> at the distance that, I, you know, like the 600 yards and in, you know, I probably shoot comfortably 200 yards and in from the standing position in that. Uh, but the, you know, 24 L, even though it's a pound and a half heavier, I can stand, um, I can stand and observe from it easily. Uh, the downside is that center column is pretty nice. Uh, especially when you're glassing, right. especially if you're glassing a pretty dynamic draw, uh, it's nice to sl slip that center column up and down versus the 24 L uh, um, like the anvil, the, any of the anvil series, uh, the TFCT, I would have to adjust my lays consistently, consistently in order right. to change the height as I'm observing, you know, different terrain. Right. right. Um, so that's, what's nice about the center column. Uh, so the 24 L and then, um, so I'm, I'm still debating right now in terms of what kind I'm running an arm. So I'll be running my gear off an arm board. Uh, you know, I don't think I'll ever pull out a Kestrel in terms of making a wind call. Um, that's one thing that I'm at, you know, trying to train myself with is being able to get better at reading, reading what? Mirage through the rifle scope. What? You're, you're on the cover of all the Kestrel packaging and you're not going to carry a Kestrel, bro? No, what? no, I know I'm going to carry it. I'm going to carry a Kestrel, but I'm not going to pull it out and be like, okay, this is what my, what my right. wind is. I had this conversation with Kalen and, uh. And uh, maybe, you know, maybe some shooters can can uh, jump on and comment, but uh, I, it's easier to observe Mirage through binos or a spotting scope than through a rifle scope. Why? True. 
right? Yeah. You know, so sometimes it's like, you know, your perspective, especially, you know, when you're prepping for a stage, it's like you're on by, I'm on binos and it's like, okay, I see what the wind is doing. And then you jump down on, on your rifle scope and you're like, holy crap, like either you can't see anything or what you just saw or it's just completely different. Right. Right. So, uh, you know, one thing that I'm trying to do better at is, is making a wind call through just my rifle scope without the aid of, of binos. Right. And then, uh, the, I think the, one of the trickiest systems, this is one thing that, uh, Brian Black and I talked about because I asked him, I was like, Hey man, what was, you know, what was your recipe for success for your match that, you you know, at the, at the Hornady match? He's Uh, like, man, you're already trying to get pointers from the pros, bro. (laughs) Having, uh, having, cause so he had, uh, you know, internal binoculars with, uh, range finding and, um, a ballistic calculator, which is a, right. a, like a Jew. And, um, you know, he tested his BC out to a thousand, which is, you know, what I would do. So, um, you know, having that combo or just having, Did you know, you separate binos and, and then a range finder. What's that? Did you just buy some geovids? No, no, no. So right now I'm running, I'm going to be running, a uh, Swarovski, um, SL, SLCs, uh, 12 by fifties. And then I'll have a pocket laser range finder or a Terrapin X, or I can just use the Terrapin X because even though it's like a monocular, it's got pretty good glass to observe from. It does. Um, uh, so I think that that's what I'm. I guess that's what I'm trying to figure out what what I want to end up going with. I, I'll probably experience it, but I'll tell you right now how I did hunt. I had the SLC twelve by fifties, and then I just had on my um, bino harness. I had a uh, pocket laser range finder um, with me, which was the uh, Nikon. Uh, 4Ks, 4K. which are great, um, you know, uh, which are great budget uh, laser range finders. I mean, they went toe to toe with my uh, Terrapin X. The downside to the uh, 4K range finders is that it doesn't have a mounting internal mounting uh, screw. Right. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You need to have like a separate, like a a 3D printed bracket, yeah, bracket for it. If you need mounts, uh, I yes. actually have have a mount. If you need one, I'll send you. Oh, do you? Yeah. Okay. I'll send it uh, off to you. So yeah. So that I guess that's what I'm what's what I'm what I'm uh, looking at. And then I'll I'll throw all that in a stone glacier pack. Uh, Kalen turned me on the stone glacier, which is I I freaking love right now. Um. All right. So are you gonna be running? You have to run to to each station with all your like even your pack. All your gear. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Okay. All your so gear we might has pack. to be in your yeah. pack. Everything your I mean, the only thing that doesn't have to be in your pack is your rifle and your binos. Yeah. But your tripod okay. has to be hooked to your pack. Your bags, everything have to be in that pack. Yeah. So my pack, I'll have probably some rain gear, um, uh, 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 some light, uh, some light, um, like a like a sleeping system probably to kind of pump it up. Uh, unless I'm, you know, it depends on it depends on the uh, uh, location that I'm at in the in the in the in the weather, right? Maybe right. I'll just have some extra like warming layers. Uh, but you know, when I, when I shot my deer and what I use for a rear bags, uh, to shoot my deer in the prone, I actually just pulled out a, um, the hell was it? It was a, a waterproof sack that I had. I had a sweatshirt in there. It was waterproof that I pulled that out and used it as a rear bag. Like a you know dry I mean? sack but or I, yeah. Yeah. But I don't know if I would be able to shoot off that from a rock, you know, if I had to shoot off my belly, right. That's it. That, that's a downside, you know? Right. So, um, but I think that game changer, that pine size game changer would be the ticket for shooting off of uh, rocks and stuff like that. I'm getting ready to go on my first big game hunt next week. 
I'm going yeah. to Utah. Oh, okay, where at? Yeah, U- uh, nice. Utah with Paul Dallin and Terry Diston. Um, Heck yeah. I got a land deprivation cow elk tag. So I'm going to go after some cow elk. And I I totally I totally did the, the I don't know, rookie, excited, new hunter type of move. Um, it's not that it's relevant, but my birthday is in a couple of days. So Heck for yeah. my birthday, Brittany kind of took me on a hunting shopping spree. Heck yeah. Right. Um, so I, I'm lucky where, you know, I don't, I don't ever ask for things for free from sponsors or from people, industry people. I always pay for stuff. Um, yeah. but I get it, you know, I get a, a, a decent discount or whatever. I get industry yeah. prices, right. But I still pay for it. Um, so I actually just ordered some of the GeoVid 3200s and nice. I, I, I kid you not, like I have Brittany downstairs listening for the doorbell because they're supposed to be delivered any minute. And I'm like, babe, you stay downstairs and don't miss that delivery. She's that's like, we're going to go grocery shopping. I said, not till I get my GeoVids. Yeah. <laughs> well, so that's, it's funny is, is what, so all, one thing that I'm also going to run and I'm probably uh, do it on my arm board, uh, on my arm or put on the rifle. It's just a, like a data card. You know what I mean? That's usually my go-to source of, of data for targets 700 yards and in. Right. As long as I have the, you know, generic atmospheric conditions. Um, so, and yeah, that's what I'm, that's, a, that's what I'm running for, for uh, firing solution data. So I've heard different theories on how to approach the stage. One theory is you approach the stage, you get all of your gear set up to what you think you're going to need. You find and range every target. So if you go and you know, it's three targets, you're going to find each one and then get your, your data for each one before you start engagement. I've also heard the opposite. You find one, you shoot it. And then you find the next one and you shoot it. What do you think is the better strategy? Oh, um, I think it depends on the experience level of the shooter. Um, we actually had this issue last week um, with um, with a, a qualification we did at for, it's, it's part of our, what we feel like a modern day sniper um, qual, basic qual, which is uh, uh, targets, engaged targets of unknown distance from uh, 100 to 600 targets have to be two to three MOA. And this is the first time these guys have shot anything smaller than an IPSC size target, right? At rifles only. Right. And, um, they, what they tried their, their first initial technique was to find all five targets, range them all. Right. And then engage them in order, right. From near to far. Right. Okay. What they, what they struggled with was losing or keeping track of data in terms of the range to target. Right, so they find it, they laze it, forget to write it down somehow or whatever. Right, and then you know they find three targets, realize they're running out of time. They're like, okay, they go back to that first target they range, and they completely forgot what that range was. I can Does that, that make sense? Totally, yeah, totally. So, happy. so I would say for me, um, what I would do is is you know, okay, if I've got four minutes allotted for a stage, understand, okay, how much, how long is it going to take me to get up there, and then give myself, you know, hey. I know that if it's four targets, I can shoot four targets with one round in less than 60 seconds. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, as long as the spread is not crazy. Right. Right. Which it could be. We don't know It yet. could be. Right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think on the fly, I'll determine, all right, well, for this specific stage, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to sh- uh, find, find the target, range it, dial it, and shoot it, then move mm-hmm. to the next one. Yeah. But, you know, if, if the, the, the target setup 
is you know pretty if i'm able to uh, identify all, all three targets you know i'll find them all and uh you know a good recommendation that that Kalen, you know put down is you know have a um so if you're running an arm board right so what i what i like to do uh, and guys if you're visualizing this or instagram and i took a picture of what my dark my dope chart looks like after i validate my trajectory anyways it's a 20 yard increment so what i do with a let's say a um dry race marker is I'd write down, okay, first target, target one is 420. And then I just put a one by it over over the clear paper, right? right. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so then target two is two, you know, let's say it's at 540. Then I'd put two by 540. So then I'd look down, okay, one's at 420, then dial to 420. So that's how I would keep track of, um, you know, the targets in case that I wanted to find all the targets first and then, um, and then shoot in that order. Nice, nice. Okay, now here's another debate, and I think I know, not debate, but question. I know what I would prefer to do, but just curious mm-hmm. from your experience, would you, or do you plan on shooting suppressed or unsuppressed? Ooh, um, I mean, this goes back to the, the this goes back to the kind of, I would say that the, the gaming aspect uh, per se uh, you know, be, because we're shooting at inanimate objects that aren't probably going to move, even if I shoot at them, right? right. Um, I'm going to be shooting a uh, break because, you know, a, a break is going to is going to you know snap down the recoil compared to um, a uh, a suppressor, right? Because with a suppressor, you're going to get a longer push. Right. Um, and I and you know I I've actually experienced this. So in 2018, my my the year that I went on that freaking uh match marathon i brought down to um the uh new mexico match when it, when it was still hosted as a prs it was it was a uh, dusty brickner's first match yeah and uh, i brought a yeah i brought a gunworks 65 schoolhouse 65 creedmoor i took it i took the the gun out of the uh, stock and i dropped it in my krg whiskey three that, that gun weighed like 13 pounds but it was suppressed when I when I when you shoot off your belly in barricade positions, it's tough to manage recoil on a on a on a on a twelve pound frame, especially when you're sh- shooting at targets that don't have any backdrop, which right. Dusty had set up, you know. And uh, you know, while trying to maintain stability and you know and and recoil management, it, it was tough to to uh, to to do. But um, you know, when I went out and I shot my uh, Tika build that weighed at I think it was like thirteen pounds. Well, with the 20 inch barrel, I, I shot that with a muzzle break and I had no issues spotting my own impacts. Um, so nice. I think, you know, shooting a muzzle break, I would say to just get that a little bit more edge would be ideal. I would say for a competitive sh- or just for a shooter getting into uh, long range shooting, you know, when you start shooting off your belly and stuff like that, uh, balance is everything, not necessarily weight. That's a good, yeah. It's a good way to look at it for sure. Yeah, yeah. Sure. So, yeah, that's that's, uh, yeah. So muzzle break, muzzle break for me. Okay. And 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 and, and what I'll do, I actually kind of stole this from Mark Lee, um, uh, because with with a can or with a muzzle break, it'll force me to wear ear um, ears overhead ears. Right. And I want to mount a GoPro. I mounted a GoPro on the side of my um, <laughs> headphones. Gotcha. <laughs> Always got to be getting that media, bro. 
You, you know, I, I'm, I, I, uh, I want to take your advice for next year and be like, you know, what, just stop this and just, you know, if I rec- if someone records me, they record me, but just focus, put my head in the game. You know what I mean? Because there are, there are a lot of distractions, especially at, you know, if I want to compete at the highest level, I have to be, you know, really focused, uh, because I, you know, I, I try to do too much, right. I try to capture content and stuff like that. Modern day sniper, you and Kaylin are also doing, some besides the le and, and military type of um training you guys are also yep. going to be doing some uh civilian training and hunter type training as well is that correct yeah so we we offer classes to to every every you know precision rifle discipline in the market right um we we call our uh, uh our hunter class technical rifle hunting where you know we teach you the aspects of we teach you what you need to know about your rifle and long range hunting Right. Um, it's, I think it's a two or three day package um, versus like our PR 101. That's like introductory level class. Hey, this is, you know, this is a circle of components. This is the fundamentals of marksmanship. This is how you, you know, these are what elements of trajectory are, right? In terms of like right. what your bullet's actually doing, basics of wind. And then we've got a 201 class where we kind of, it's kind of like a, how to get you, you know, push you past your comfort zone, right? We don't want to call it a competitive class because we might detract from hunters wanting to push to the threshold, right? So we call it a 201. But it's, essentially, it's kind of like a competition prep, right? Because okay. really, after our 201, there's not much more that we can, like, I guess, teach you right. in terms of, um, you know, uh, the basics of long-range shooting. Everything else is all, like, self-discovery, right? Right. Um, so we do that. And then what Kaylin and I have really been taking advantage of, like we're going to launch actually next Tuesday is, uh, uh, online training. So he's done a really great job of capturing, especially with everything going on in COVID people being locked down, uh, of, you know, creating an online school that allows shooters to have something to fall back on. Love right. It. So like when you go to a class, right. A four day class, I mean, you're getting fire hose with information, yeah. right. You're and lucky if you like, retain thirty percent. You're lucky. That's right. Um, and I tell this, I told this to my students all the time. Like, don't get discouraged after a four day class that you, you know, maybe don't retain a lot of it. I mean, at sniper school, marksmanship is nine freaking weeks long, right? And they're shooting for nine weeks straight. And I mean, after, I mean, after a, a couple competitions, well, uh, I'll take that back. After nine weeks, I didn't even scratch the surface to what I know now about long range shooting, right? Obviously, because I took the 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 interest of, you know, other discovery learning and learning from other people, but um, you know the the courses are there just to build a foundation, and whatever whatever you build on top of that foundation, that's up to you. Right. Um, but you know, hopefully, you walk away with a, a general understanding. But with these online courses, it allows you to do it at your own pace, and then always have that reference material to fall back to, especially when you want to do a hard reset on your fundamentals, which is huge. Right. Huge. Um, so, or, you know, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I'm brand new. I've never picked up a rifle before. I come to yep. you. I say, Philip, you know, where where do I start? What do I do? What would you recommend? Well, so the very first thing I'm going to ask you is what you're going to, what your purpose is. What, I'm, I'm you, what is your intent? I'm, I'm a you're hunter. You're a hunter? Yeah. Okay, I want to wanna... I wanna be able to go out and, and put meat in the freezer every year for my family. Elk, okay. uh, speed goats, Elk. Uh, okay. deer. Okay, so, you know, we're going to probably recommend something, uh, you know, in the lines of like a 6.5 or 7, um, uh, unless it's, you know, unless... You know, you have the ability to reload. If you don't, you know, maybe a nope, 6.5 PRC. Don't want to reload? Nope, okay, I, so I just want to buy it in the go. direction of a uh, 6.5 Creedmoor or 6.5 PRC. 
you know, or if you if you do want a, a bigger caliber, a 300 win mag, the reason why we're gonna we're gonna the reason why we're gonna uh, avoid going the higher calibers is because we know that it's not fun to train with a 300 PRC or 300 win mag. In order to be a <laughs> proficient shooter, right, you have to shoot more. Yeah. Right. But if you're only limiting yourself to five to ten rounds a, a training session, you're not getting better. Right? right. And then you're starting to build these habits of flinching and stuff like that, being scared of the recoil. Right. Where it's like, man, that's a fucking pain in the ass to shoot. Right. So we're going to build you something like six, five Creedmoor or six, five PRC. Right. And we're going to tell you, hey, don't don't expect you're going to be taking long bombs with these things. Right. Um, at a thousand yards on an elk. Right. right. These are calibers that you need to, you know, close a distance and shoot four or five hundred yards with with good shot placement. Right. You know, and, and again, I'm not an experienced freaking elk hunter by trade. I haven't even shot an elk, but I know from, you know, other shooters that I respect in this in this world of like hunters. I know that because that their their max range is five hundred yards, they 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 would shoot a elk with a six five Creedmoor all day or a PRC. And, you know, I, I'm I have the utmost confidence, you know, that they're telling me that from a sincere place. Right. Right. But I think we can all agree with that when you build a rifle, like a 300 win mag or, you know, a 300 Weatherby, I call them shoulder killers. And I saw this when I was at Gunworks. It's hard to shoot a heavy calibered light frame rifle if you don't know how to handle one. Yes. And right. And it's not, it's not fun to shoot. You lim- like you said, you limit yourself to seven, 10 rounds of training session yeah. and you don't, you don't get anything out of it. And, and that's how you learn. And, and that's the goal of us, right? When we're trying to build the sport, we're, we're trying to tell these guys, hey, bring what you have, right? right, So that you can you can identify, hey, if th- is this something that, you know, um, is going to work for me in the future? Yeah. Right. Um, and, and then hopefully our goal, hopefully when they come to a match is for that seed to get planted and be like, okay, now I need to invest in my gear, a better gear, whatever, right? And that, you know, that that's always good because it helps the industry. It helps with sponsors. I mean, you know, and this is why I really love what Kayla and I do talk about. It's like you have to ask yourself what your intent and what your intentions are when you are getting into the sport. You know, when you connect to that rifle, what do you want? What is it that you want to get out of right. out of it after the training session? You know, because a lot of times hunters, when they go train, they, I mean, it's it's, also, it's honestly just sending rounds down range. There's actually no specific purpose of training, and that's why competition is so great because it allows them to be exposed to that world, right? And be like, okay, well, I need to now go to the range and work on this, right? right? The, the, the average hunter, and I saw this because it was hunting season, and um, you know, now that I don't have obviously access to the Gomer's range, but I have access to Cody Shooting Complex. Um, you know, I'd be at the range for three, four hours working on something or filming something and guess how many shooters would show up, but something at two or 300 yards, shoot a couple rounds. And then just, I saw probably like 60 shooters in my four hour session. Wow. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, man, that's, that's not, yeah, they're sighting their rifle in They're They're sighting the rifle in, but they're not getting ready for, you know, hunting scenarios. Yeah. That's not training. Exactly. So, so that's why, yeah, I encourage people to come out to, to, to training or the competition because now it allows them to see, okay, when I, next time I go out to the range, this is what I'm going to work on. Okay. I'm going to work on shooting in the standing position. Right. Um, and then, uh, and, and shooters don't know what they don't know. You know what I mean? And, and I, uh, so when I went to pig river, uh, next, uh, uh last month, I mean, we had uh, our positional clinic, and I had probably five or six top-level competitors on the East Coast come out. 
and I'd say one or two of them, I was able to, you know, kind of fix their sh- uh, sh- uh, rifle. I mean, they've been shooting on this rifle all all year. And I was like, hey, I was like, all right, just bear with me here. Let me let me try to do something for you. If you don't like it, go back to, uh, all right. And so I made modifications to the length of pull and their uh, cheek riser. And I mean, no shit, this guy, after he said, now I can see my trace from positional shooting. I've never been able to do that before. And I was like, that's that's pretty cool. You know, it's pretty that's cool huge. to hear that feedback. Yeah, it's awesome. it's huge, right? And and I feel like that's what separates also top level competitors from the mid pack guys is guys that are able to see their own trace, so they can essentially on the fly be able to like, okay, that's not going to connect to my target, right. <laughs> and already making you know a wind call in their head to to correct, or because let's say you know they're shooting on the you know at two or three hundred yards at something so close, well if they're able to spot their trace at that distance, they're not now essentially trying to guess well did that hit off the left or did it hit off the right you know what i mean yep. because i think what i've seen with uh inexperienced shooters is uh, i would say mid-pack shooters is guys that are still trying to figure out their dual time what i mean by dual time is their ability to essentially come back into consciousness after the recoil hits their body right so when they shoot a target let's say it's 400 yards and they're shooting the 65 creed more well, at that 400 yards, because of the time of flight and that and that recoil, well, maybe by the time that that bullet splashes the dirt, they're still trying to recover from that recoil. Right. Right. So then now all they see is a dust splash, but they don't know if that hit off to the left or to the right. True. Does that make sense? Yeah. Absolutely. Right. And so they're guessing. They're like, "Man, was that left what or right?" That? And so they just yeah. they just send another one. Um, and uh, you know, I I feel like the the top level guys because they've shot so much they've got a smaller dwell time and you know they're able to recover from recoil within milliseconds right so right. they're able to watch their trace even at two or three hundred yards it, there's so many different hunters out there right you got your big game hunters like yeah. really big game hunters like your like like cape buffalo like like africa <laughs> type shit. hunters yeah. africa shit right you've got your just prairie dog guys that just love to shoot prairie dogs you got your coyote hunters right so many different dynamics right yes. and I, I i would say that uh you know the the uh NRL hunter incorporate in, encompasses mainly the uh i would say like the predator hunting and the, the the western game hunting because i don't think anyone would show up to a match if it was if it was um you know eastern or, or south texas hunting where right. you're sitting up in a fucking deer stand right waiting for your harbor right no <laughs> one would show up to that match would you agree <laughs> Yes. Or you know, out south, south Texas, waiting on a waiting at a, a corn feeder, right from a from a deer blind two or three hundred yards away. No one would show up no. for that, right? Because then now everyone's just taking turns figuring out, all right, who's going to go in the blind now? Right. So no, uh, it's it's good, man. And and uh, I I welcome people to call me out if if uh, you know I'm I'm way out of line or I'm not seeing something from a different lens because you know my my goal, especially as a, in the space, it, to educate people and come come from all different lenses right. uh, so that I can just get more perspective because this is going to help out the community. Cause again, I just don't focus in, in terms of my teaching on law enforcement or military snipers. Right? right. I've got hunters that come up to me, got other competitors that come up to me and I want to make sure that I'm giving them the best information that I can based off of the application they intend on using long range shooting for. Right. And if people look at the posts that you make or, other industry professionals. There's some industry professionals that just love to stir shit and whatever. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, it's good for comic relief, but you can't take it serious. There's other guys yeah. that are actually trying to educate or make a point. And if you take and go into a post with an open mind 
um, instead of criticism and, and negativity and so on and so forth, you're going to open up your exposure to something that you may have never thought about before. And it's going to open up to new, different questions than if you were just yep. to snap react to it. And, yep. and we're all guilty of it because sometimes it's like that, you know, we just get defensive or, or we have strong. Well, it's opinions. not, it's not the response that we're looking for. It's not it, right. It's not the response yeah, we're looking yeah. for. So our attitude changes, but yep. if we all had the same thoughts and we all did things the exact same way, how boring yep. would life be? That's you, right. You know, uh, when we're talking in a public forum, um, both of us, you know, we're there for the greater good of the community and people yeah. need to realize you know, who's there for the greater good and who's there just to stir shit. If you're there to stir shit, you know, do, do your thing, say what you need to say and, and, and be done with it. If you're there yeah. to educate, then, you know, try to find the educational points from it. Yep. So Absolutely. I no, I, no, it's good, man. And, you know, I, I, uh, I'm excited to see where the where the Enerol Hunter goes. I know that I'm going to be participating in it. Caitlin and I talked about it. We're trying to fill it in our calendars. Nice. Um, you know, and and uh, yeah, I, I just it's just on, on the pursuit of being a, a, the most well-rounded shooter that I can be. Right for me, yeah. at least, that's my intention. And and um, you know, be, I'm no longer you know in service of of our country, um, but I know that I can still uh, pass on the things that I learned from a match. Um, yes. Because it's the closest thing that you're going to get right now to getting shot at in combat, right? Um, is I, And I told those guys, I was training in Texas, I was like, hey man, I can't shoot at you, but what I can do is, and I, I was holding up a shot timer, is I can do it. <laughs> and you know, that like shit, like fucking wheels fell off the bus, right? Uh, but it, it allowed them to just see, like, okay, how do I work under pressure? And that's essentially what you know, people that are using the long rifle for, you know, hunters, snipers, they, they, they have to understand how they work under pressure. Right. And it, the only way they're going to do that is to get out of their comfort zone, go to a competition, because like I said, in, in my words, mean thing post, like people are going to run out of shooting training ideas. Like it just happens. Like it, even, even instructors, right? Like, you know, yeah, I have a tub full of, uh, of, uh, you know, matchbooks, but you know, I go out to these competitions as well to, to, put more tools and training tools in my toolbox. So yes, cool. Sir. It's good stuff, bro. Man, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know this was a spontaneous podcast and I really appreciate oh, it. Oh no. Um, I wish you, Nicole, Zoe, I wish you guys all the best, all my love, all of our love. Um, sad. I'm not going to see you guys for the holidays, but we'll get together soon. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Um, I'd love to, uh, you know, we'll, we'll keep in touch and, um, thanks for no Travis and Brittany and the team at NRL. Thanks for what you guys do, uh, to the sport. Um, you know, it's, I don't, I don't envy your workload <laughs> and I say that with love because, you know, I've got a workload obviously with the online training, we've got to yeah. work it all himself, but you know, you guys, I, I feel like I go above and beyond sometimes in terms of trying to grow the sport, but I know you guys double that uh, with uh, managing orders and, and retail, and uh, I think it's I think it's an awesome thing. And um, thanks for thanks for doing what you guys do. And and I mean, we know that there's no NRL without shooters, but there's no NRL without you guys. So we appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. We have an awesome team, and we're truly blessed. And and uh, yeah, thank you. I really we, we really appreciate that. Um, I want people to know about Modern Day Sniper. What's the website? Where do we go? Um, how do I sign up? The whole nine. 
Uh, so um, follow us on Instagram, Modern Day Sniper. Um, Kalen and I have our individual pages, uh, Vallejo underscore 0317. And then Kalen's is Kalen8541. And then uh, www.moderndaysniper.com is our website. And then, um, you know, check out uh, our online training programs. Kalen has a couple of them that he did uh, for free, which is rifle safety. Uh, super important. I think yes. that every shooter should have. To, and he does a really great job on that as well as uh, rifle cleaning. So you can just kind of see how our online uh, curriculum is broken down and stuff like that. Because that's another question I give it like, hey, how do you clean a rifle? Right. And uh, so those are those are uh, two free things that we offer for you and uh yeah you know and anyone that sees me at a match or killing at a match please come up to us say what's up uh you know we you know we want to meet you we want to know who's in the sport we want to know what your intentions are and what your mindfulness is when you come into the uh the rifle sport and that we just hope that you can you know um just be a better shooter and, and and uh you know find out what uh you know what what you define as success so Nice. And I, I don't do this very often. I don't think I've ever actually done it with a, with this situation. Um, but personally, um, you know, I, I'm a nobody, but in my, whatever this is worth, um, anybody who is looking for training and looking for uh, people to really follow in this sport, I 100%, 100% back Philip and Kalen and uh, believe in, in their knowledge, their skill set. So if you're looking for a, a great class, um, they are a, two of the few people that I will recommend without a doubt for any of your precision rifle needs. These guys are, are true industry professionals from every aspect um, and and are definitely NRL and personal family. So uh, much Thanks, appreciation. Travis. Absolutely, absolutely. Sign up for Modern Day Sniper when their online courses come out uh, next week. Uh, it'll probably be out before this podcast, so sign up on their website. Uh, they got some really cool merchandise as well. I got a shirt from you guys that you sent me. Thank you very much. Um, cool. Yeah, it's bad. It's badass. Everything they're doing is awesome. So go support them. Two two awesome veterans doing great things for our community. Until next time, guys. Be safe. Keep shooting, and we'll see you all at the range. And keep your face on the gun. Keep your face on the gun. <laughs>